As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Thanks as always to David Cook for the rocking tune to bring us in here. Tuesday morning in Columbus. Tonight the Blue Jackets will find out finally who they play in round two. Will it be Boston? Will it be Toronto? Game seven is in Beantown tonight. This can't happen to the Leafs again, can it? Uh, they had it right there where they wanted it in Toronto with the chance to close it out on Sunday, but couldn't get it done. So here we go. Game seven tonight. The Blue Jackets should have an idea tonight when round two will start. Not sure if the league will make that known in public until uh, tomorrow. But the next step of the of the uh, playoffs is is nigh, as some like to say. The Blue Jackets have not played. It's been a week now. Since uh, the Blue Jackets played that that game four against the Lightning, it feels like it's been I don't know t- two months ago. It seems like it's been a long time, and the players are fidgety. The coach says he's fine, but I get the sense the Tortorella's fidgety too. How are they trying to stay fresh? They had a scrimmage yesterday in the Nationwide Arena. Allison Lucan joins us. Tom Reed joins us. Allison, what was the attendance yesterday? It was. Over 5,500 people, and from what I understand, people were still trying to show up after it was over, um, didn't realize it was over, and were still trying to get in the building to take in a little hockey. That's like a Panthers home game. <laughs> well, from what I understand, the organization, and, and rightly, was expecting probably around 1,000 people, and and we saw it, it and if, for folks who were there, they kept having to open they had taped off sections and they kept having to open more and more sections as, as people are literally just flowing in for all the way up into, I'd say, easily the first 20 minutes of the thing. And they had to open up the doors early because the pe- there were so many people in line that was going out into the street. Crazy. Yes. These are heady times in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Tom Reed, I think the scrimmage makes sense. It's about the best that they can do. But God, this is a... 
this is a long, I hate to complain about a sweep in Columbus, Ohio. This is a long <laughs> stretch without games. Where are the hands right now? Where are the legs? Where are the feet? Where's the mind for these players? Well, I think you described it. They're, they are probably just restless. And then, you know, you have a scrimmage where you're you're really going kind of three-quarters speed, right? I mean, it's because it, you right. can't go out there and hurt your teammates right now. But they're just trying to do anything to, to kind of keep themselves mentally and physically ready to go. And it's tough. It, it really is. Uh, I, obviously, the benefits, the, the bumps and the bruises – uh, for some of the guys that have been playing, will heal. But, you know, it's it's going to be like the old jumping back onto a treadmill going 10 miles an hour uh, yeah. come Thursday or Friday night, you know, especially if it's in Boston. Uh, and the thing was is the Blue Jackets were in p- almost playoff mode before the playoffs because they, had to, they right. had to work so hard to get in. And then they breeze right through the first round unexpectedly. What, what, what if they won, like 11 of 12 or something? That's right, eleven of twelve, and, and then just nothing, just absolutely nothing. So it'll be fascinating to see once the games, once they the opponents, we once the games start again, how quickly they can get up to speed because it's uh, it's something that Tortorella has admitted that it, it concerns him, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how long. I think long term in a series, it will benefit them, but you don't want to fall behind early, just trying to. Get your get get your legs back, Allison. Do you worry more about the hands or the mind? In other words, getting yourself. Some of these guys were saying yesterday that it, it that they're not sure if they should dial it down and act like the season's over and then ramp it back up again, or try to stay up on that edge, the playoff mentality that that Tom spoke about. Right, and Matt Duchesne said one of these days too. You know, he mentioned Oliver Bjorkstrand specifically. He said, "Look at that guy." You know, he's on an offensive role. <clears throat> How do you keep that going in, in such a break? But right. I, I'm, I'm starting to come around to, I, I'm starting to think that this, this might actually be good. Because it's, I, I don't know if there are rare occasions when you can have too much of a good thing, right? Like when you've had a, such a good vacation, you're ready for it to be over, you're ready to come home. Sure. And as you described, there's kind of this like, really, like, one more day of practice, it's almost like training camp, right? Like, I'm starting to get this sense of like, so are they now, is that going to help them ramp up mentally? Because I to your question, I am most worried about the mental side. But are they are they just going to be like, they're not, a, they're not the team that's going, thank God, we have two days off before we have to get going again. They're the team that's going, we're sick of having days off. Like we are antsy, right. we are ready. I'm starting to think that might help be an additional push to get back to where they need to go. But Tom's right. It's how they start off. The, fir- the first game is going to be huge in terms of how they start. I spoke with a uh, longtime NHL defenseman, Aaron Ward, last night. He had a career that always fascinated me. Um, in 1999, I was doing, I don't know if it, it must have been the playoffs, and Aaron Ward saw the credential hanging around my neck, saw Columbus, and said, you know, you guys should take me in the expansion draft. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, my wife's going to go to school at, at Ohio State, and it'd be perfect. It'd be the perfect situation for me. So we sort of struck up a, a conversational friendship whenever we'd see each other. Um, he played 95 playoff games in his career, won three Stanley Cups, 
So he's he has seen a lot. He has seen, I think it was a 10-day layoff for him one year between the first round and the second round. They lost the second round. He was pretty clear yesterday. That's not why they lost the second round. He was playing for Carolina at the time. No, Boston at the time. And they lost to Carolina in the second round in 09. Um, and his thing was it, it takes a period to get back into the feel of it no matter how long you've been off at this point of the season, it takes maybe a period. You just kind of keep your wits about you in that first period and get the feel of it back, and then you're fine. But he thinks that a, an early layoff is just hugely beneficial. Hmm. Um, and and it's really not that. He would much rather have a four-game sweep and a long break than to do what Boston or Toronto is going to do, which is a game seven, day off to catch your breath, and then a whole different opponent, and it starts again. Um, maybe with only one day off between games, which is crazy. Well, um, that, that's what it could be looking like. And, and that some people have said that too. I mean, we're obviously focused on the Jackets, but the impact on Boston or Toronto in terms of what's been asked of them, both physically and mentally, and then to shift into another series. I mean, the grind of that isn't great. <laughs> so right. Yeah, there could be a real physical advantage for the Blue Jackets there because those, those two teams, Toronto and Boston, are kind of beating each other up pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, one one wrinkle that that's, I think and Tortorella always loves this. He loves having a Texier to stick in the lineup uh, to sort of upset the apple cart. There's nothing he likes more than a an apple cart on its wheels, John Tortorella. Um, and he's got a defenseman now in camp as of as of two days ago, Vladislav. Gavrikov, it's just fun to say. Uh, number 44, six foot three and a quarter, 215 pounds. This is a big dude that moves pretty well. Strapping. He's a strapping, strapping Russian. Now, there's no, there's nothing set in stone. They're, they've got a lot of injuries on this, on the back end right now. Nudavara has not uh, played or skated since that. He took warm ups against in game three, but he has not played since the hit uh, from Kucherov. At the end of game three, at the game two, sorry. Uh, you know Ryan Murray's out. You know Adam McQuaid is out. This is a beat up blue line. Uh, and Gavrikov comes, especially, I would think, especially if they play Boston, uh, at a really helpful time to give them a physical presence on the back end. I would suspect that if, if Nudavara, Murray, and McQuaid are still out for game one, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see Gavrikov in there. And I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are uh, on this infusion, this new name. Blue Jackets player making his NHL and club debut in the second round of the playoffs. Tom Reed, how wild is this? Uh, yeah, it's, it does seem wild. But again, as you kind of laid out, and we've, and we've written about that, uh, you know, Torts has a history of doing this. He's not afraid to throw guys into situations if he believes they're ready. I, I thought it was interesting listening to Torch yesterday talk that you want to come over here, at least with Texier, he had two regular season games. Now, granted, those were big games, so the first one was. Uh, but the, he would have no regular season games at all. And he's trying to make an impact in practice and in this scrimmage where you really can't be running around hitting people. Yeah. So how, how, does, how does Brad Shaw and Tortorella and uh, the powers to be say – yeah, he's ready or no, he's not. But as you laid out with the apple cart situation comparison, he's not afraid to try things. And 
you if you're going to do it, you might do it in a game one early in the series. Uh, that a look to let kind of let him get you know if you're gonna on the road, you're possibly gonna maybe lose one of those two games anyway on the road. Listen to us talking about the Blue Jacks 2019, <laughs> possibly <laughs> lose a game on the road. Uh, but anyway, if you're going to do it, I would. I would, I think it would be better to do it early in a series than like throw him in the middle of a series. So I, yeah, I, I can see it possibly happening. Allison, tell us about Mr. Gavrikov. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously massive, as you said, um, it, uh, a note is that, you know, even Seth Jones remarked, I mean, his English is good. So they're communicating well on the ice, which is big for a defensive core. Um, again, what can you tell of him um, in, in terms of a scrimmage? He looks solid, right? I mean, I think everything we've all heard is that he projects out to be bottom three, maybe defenseman. But to, to the Tessier example, and as Tom wrote about, you know, the organization knows the player far better than we and far more than what we are seeing. It's not like the, the organization is now saying, oh, now let's start to assess this player. They have reports, yeah. they have scouts, they have development coaches, et cetera. Um, and, and I think if they do decide to put him in, it's not going to be on a lark. Um, I agree completely with what Tom said. You do it early um, because it's low risk and it also is not a move of panic, in my opinion. And it also, you know, one thing Torts talked about was the chemistry. He doesn't want to disrupt the chemistry of a group that did just sweep the lightning. Yeah. And I think if because of that, if you're going to make a change just from a group dynamic perspective, you do it at the start of the series versus starting with the previous group and then saying, oh, nope, just kidding. Now we're going to change something. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think of interest to me is, is Gavrikov has looked really good on an international stage and in the KHL on the large ice, which if a really big physical player can do well on big ice, that's a really good sign typically mm-hmm. um, that he's going to be able to play in the NHL. But it's going to happen quicker here for him in the tighter ice surface. Um, yeah, some guys say that it's easier to defend here because a player can't – your gap can be a little tighter because there's less risk of a guy going wide. There's just less wide to go here. Um, so that I think that's going to be maybe his bigger adjustment. And maybe with the puck on his stick, he's known as a pretty good puck mover – I don't think he's ever been described as an offensive defenseman, but he's a puck mover. He gets the puck out pretty quickly. That's going to be a challenge, too, because there's going to be people on him probably quicker than he's used to them being on him, having played in the KHL. Um, So all of these things, this is an adjustment. And if you can adjust immediately to playoff speed in the NHL, wow, is that a good sign? Yeah. Um, But, you know, he's stepping out of the KHL playoffs with uh, St. Petersburg, that ended for him a little more than a week ago. Uh, so he, you know, he's had a similar layoff to the Blue Jackets. If anything, he's played <laughs> more recently than they have, which is strange. Um, but uh, so Gavrikov could draw in. We'll see. We'll be playing that uh, by ear as these next couple of days play out. It's been a week, as we mentioned in Columbus. Still, there is a glow. We mentioned the 5,500 people that showed up at Nationwide yesterday. I'm seeing more Blue Jackets stuff. Uh, around town my uh ace reporter daughter reports that there's blue jacket stuff all over school at uh, granville high school i'm sure other high schools are the same you can feel it in this town um as much as you've ever been able to maybe more so tortorella told a great story yesterday his dogs are barking at the at the end of his property line (laughs) 
And some fans, and I don't know how fans know where John Tortorella is, but they pull up to his, his place in Galena, and he walks out to, like, what the hell, who are these people? They were just fans. Not, I don't mean just fans. They were fans, not friends of his. They were fans that wanted to uh, tell him how much it meant. Um, and I think players, I, who was, oh, Pierre-Luc Dubois said, um, he's noticed people looking at him before out in public. Now <laughs> people are coming up to his table in restaurants and saying thank you offering to buy certain uh, beverages for players like like never before it's all nice you guys Allison you wrote a nice piece about some of the stuff the fans have done um there's there's a feeling here still is there not oh yeah and i think you know when we talk about we always talk about making this a hockey town uh, for the fans and for the league but i think this also goes a long way for the players too um, particularly those who've been here longer and seen, you know, it's not always been sellout crowds and they might go on the road and think other markets are stronger. Um, but, but it is, it is fun. And, and I do want to echo what John Tortorella said in his comments. It's not that he wants people showing up at his house every day. And I don't know that Cam Atkinson wants his house TP'd every day either. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I think it's really nice. I think it's cool. Um, and I, I think it just shows that, that, this is just one of the things Nick Foligno said that I thought was really neat was he said, you know, you start to find out that there's so much support that's just bubbling under the surface. These aren't necessarily the people who have the Blue Jackets flag flying in front of their house, but right. they appreciate it. It means something and they're going to go above and beyond. My husband told me he was out and uh, had a, a Blue Jackets shirt on and, and the server said, hey, nice shirt. You know, it's it's bubbling. It's coming on. Yeah. Tom, we've talked about this, Allison, we all have. I go on rants sometimes, but and I'll try to phrase this in a way that's 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 um easily digested and, and accurate. More than half of the people who live in central Ohio now either weren't born here or didn't live here in two thousand. So their perspective isn't as I, I I was raised with this perspective. It's just sort of part of the environment. Ohio State is the big omnipresent cloud over everything. Cloud only cloud. It hovers over everything. The big block O, and everything else is seen through the perspective of not quite Ohio State, but we also have this. And I think all the people who have come to this town or weren't born here, they don't understand that perspective because they maybe have lived in other cities that don't treat things that way. In Detroit, there's Pistons, Red Wings, Lions, Tigers, Michigan State, Michigan, right? There's no there's no overlord as there's been here. And I think the I think the old guard Columbus and old guard media Columbus is guilty of only seeing it that way still in some cases. And in some cases, even worse, wanting to ensure that it never changes from that. And I think this, I think when you see stuff like what happened with the crew, save the crew, it is, that's a huge amount of people in this town saying, you know, that we are as passionate about this as anything that the minor league football team has ever done. When you see Blue Jackets fans go over the top like this, now this is the National Hockey League. This is the major league. And I think the players sometimes uh, in Columbus have not I, – I think it's hard to hear from all of those fans and easy to hear from 
prevailing opinions that have always been here. Am I making too much out of this, Tom? No, no. I mean, this is a uh, this is a another one of those moments, just like when they made the playoffs in two thousand nine. That it's going to be. Let's see where we are now. As far as is this finally going to become a city that is more than just Ohio State and the rest of the sports uh, menu? Right. Uh, and, and I think I think this is I think this is a good time. It's it's it it seems like a very good time uh, for this city and to embrace this team and embrace and uh, you know with, with what happened with the crew as well. I just think there is a real movement afoot. To, by the people that live here, the people that have moved here, they kind of take ownership of this and say, "Look, don't don't just tell me it's all about Ohio State here. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I've got eyes too, and yeah. I'm gonna see see what's out there." And I think people have kind of got swept up into this. I, I was at a I was at a, my favorite wing place uh, the other day, and I didn't even know they knew what hockey was when I go in there and pick up and have a have a couple of cold ones. And a CBJ chant broke out. <laughs> now these guys were drunk, but they were. It still was like it just it, it caught me for a minute. And I'm like, I didn't know anything other than Ohio State football existed in this bar, and these guys were chanting CBJ. And I'm like, well, you know, hey, something you know, happened that prompted this. Uh, no, I I don't know. I I wasn't part. I I wasn't with the group. I I go in Lone Wolf or. Occasionally with one other person, but I can see that. No, I, I just wasn't in the conversation. I was just enjoying my hot garlic wings and <laughs> beer, and a CBJ <laughs> chant broke out, and I'm like, wow, far out. Maybe they That's, were chanting uh, for you, Tom. No, it was CBJ. It was definitely CBJ. Well, and, that, uh, I meant because you covered the they, team, Tom. They had no idea. Trust me, they, they wouldn't know me if they ran me over with their car. So, no, it's, but it, little things like that, as you're mentioning, seeing more stuff in schools and stuff. There's, there's no question. And just people that I, that, that I'm sure all of us run into, like how about those blue jackets in the neighborhood? And like, I didn't even know they knew anything about hockey, but so it's a good thing. I think it will be interesting. I, I'm going to be most interested around the rest of the state. If they get a bump uh, throughout the state here, I know that like torts was on radio in Cleveland yesterday Right. I, I've just talking to some friends from back home. Uh, I grew up right on the border of Pennsylvania, Northeast Ohio, in the Warren Youngstown area. That it's if they talk hockey at all, it's Penguins, and they're like, "Wow, the Blue Jackets! That's that's pretty impressive." So uh, this is a real chance here for them to uh, not only uh, expand their footprint here in the Columbus market, which is what we're really what we're talking about, but really in the state as well. Yeah, and and uh, it doesn't. It certainly shouldn't be adversarial, and and fans absolutely have room in their fandom for all things Columbus. But it, nothing has to take a backseat to the other. I guess is is my point, and I, I feel like I feel like it's already reached that point, frankly, where the people are voting with their with their passion, and you're you're starting to see it. Um, Allison, thoughts on this meaty? topic (laughs) no i mean i we've we've really touched on a lot of it and i think the the crumb there and in what tom was just saying too is you know now now challenging it we've we've joked and it's all in in good fun and and there's all there's resources and such as well but you know is it is it one minute of blue jackets coverage and then 15 minutes of 
hey, Ohio State had a practice today. <laughs> um, but, you know, if, if the demand driving some of that attention, too, I think is, is valuable, not only locally, but to Tom's point, um, across the state and bigger. I've been saying for weeks now, if, if the Blue Jackets should somehow win and advance to the Eastern Conference final, I think Urban Meyer comes back to coach Ohio State football. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really the only place for this to go. Or maybe well, they'll have a parade commemorating the national champion. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. Well, I, I, on, a, on a more serious note, I'll yeah. tell you, this is if, if you're Yarmo Kekalain in, in the front office, it's not a bad time for Matthew Shane and his family to be in the city, is it? No. No, it's not. No. It's, and, uh, I mean, yeah. he must be, to come here and like, wow, it's like, is it like this all the time? And Yarmo should be saying, oh, yeah, yeah it's always like this. <laughs> Springtime in Columbus. Yeah. Uh, and you wonder too, like, I mean, I think we touched on this last, I mean, I don't think Bobrovsky and Panarin are going to change their mind and decide to become full-time long-term blue jackets. I don't think so, but we, but is there a better, is there a better tactic of persuasion than to have a long playoff run? I wouldn't think so either. So interesting times in Columbus, Tom, you wrote a piece today, um, just about how this has changed. We talked a little bit earlier about how long a layoff the Blue Jackets have had, how much it has changed in terms of scouts, um, advanced scouts, preparing players. I don't know how much the Blue Jackets could could talk to their players or even coach their players up for an opponent. You certainly can't prepare them for two teams and have them forget everything they know about one. So I think that probably the work starts in earnest here, but behind the scenes, there's already been a ton of work that's gone into preparing this club to play Toronto or Boston. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think what I wrote about today was just how it's changed. There's so much. I and I didn't know some of the stuff myself. I still thought the advanced scouts, the people that you see in the press box at this time of year, when you see people from uh, Boston and Toronto, I'm thinking, well, they probably have a lot to do with you know, they're going to file their reports and no, not really. I mean, there's, there's little things they can give, but technology is to the point now uh, where all the scouting is pretty much done by John Tortorella, who really focuses on the five on five play. And then by uh, Brad Larson and Brad Shaw. And it's, everything is done just on the laptops and they have so much information at their fingertips through video clips, through anything, through reports, uh, it, I, I find it fascinating that, like, they were saying that they can go and say, give me uh, uh, Patrice Bergeron's last 20 face-offs. And within, like, a minute, it, it shows up on your computer. And basically, they are looking how where Bergeron goes on draws and stuff like that. Or give me the last 20 goals that Toronto has given up on a power play. And all this information, but then the challenge, it, you, so that's great. That part of it is great that they can get all this information, even as they put in these long hours of watching film. But it, it was funny because Brad Larson, I don't think Brad Larson ever wanted to be a reporter, but we started to go down this whole newspaper path. It's like you have all this information and it's great and it's fantastic. And you want to tell the whole world about it. And it's like these players have you got about 10 or 15 minutes to get through to guys and i don't think that necessarily it's not just a shrinking i think it's it's 
it also might be able to help me on this. I think it's just trying to teach a more effective, efficient way. Uh, with the, they go through the video. The player said there were no booklets. Torch was joking the other day. He showed me all these booklets he's had in the years past where he passed them out and had all these pages of information for players to read. He didn't do any of that. It's just we're going to watch video for 15 minutes a day on this opponent. So they'll probably do that Wednesday and Thursday. And that's pretty much it. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois said the centers received some uh, information on their uh, digital information on face-offs, but that's really all they do. And it's, it's just uh, it's come a long, long way over, in just about 10 years. Players can't read something if it's not backlit anymore. <laughs> that, that's been told to me. That, that's a really hard thing to give them a piece of paper and have them extract information from that. It, it needs to be vibrant somehow. Uh, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it, it's what both of you just said. I think first, yes, there is absolutely a, an age-related preference for how information is received. And, you know, the only way a message is effective is if it's communicated effectively. It could be the best message in the world, but if it's not communicated effectively so that your audience receives it, there's no point in even trying. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that that I've always found intriguing about athletes in really any sport is they are, you know, there's a whole visual to verbal learning scale and, and athletes are really so high in terms of visual learners and visual communicators. I mean, when you think about the information they process and how quickly they process it to make a read on a play and then make a play, it's insane. And so I do, I think a lot of this is focused on tailoring the communication to what this age group likes but also how these players minds work a book is great but if you're a really high visual learner like that's painful to say here read 50 pages right sure. and it and it doesn't even really assimilate into your brain and therefore it's not really translated into anything of meaning in your behavior right so um to me that's what this takes out and i think it really speaks to the value of the work those coaches do because they have to and we've talked about this with analytics. No player should be looking at analytics. They don't care. The job of the coaches and management and front office is to say, what are we looking to discern? Look at that information and then translating, translate it into a meaningful message to players. It's not about Corsi. It's here's how we need to play to win the game, period. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Tom's article was great. For folks who haven't read it, please, please do. It was super cool. And I love that Tortorella keeps those books in his desk. I, of course he does. <laughs> He was just able to produce them. He was walking through the hall after he told us that. And I'm like, do you really have those books? He just turned around and went back and got them. Yep. So he's, uh, it's, it, it is, it, it does speak to, now I think that they are, I don't necessarily think Torch is like way out there. I think a lot of coaches and talking to some people around the league are kind of going this direction. But it does speak to, when I hear critics saying, oh, John Tortorella, he, he's terrible with young kids. He doesn't want to change his ways. I mean, this is a, a perfect example of how he has changed yeah. because he was that coach that overcoached him and like, oh, I've given him everything. What else do they need? And you go out there and they're paralyzed. Right. Uh, uh, so I, I think it's another example of, of John Tortorella, 60-year-old John Tortorella changing with the times. And we, we saw guys – like Scotty Bowman, hang on for a long time. Well, how was he able to hang on for a long time? Because Scotty Bowman changed. He didn't change his core, 
but he yeah. did change over the years uh, to, to work with different generations of players. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Uh, I'm getting stir crazy, you guys. Oh, yeah. How about a game oh. already? Uh, Tom, who wins tonight? I think I, I want to say Toronto, but I think it's going to be Boston. I mean, how, I mean, it's just I don't know. The only thing I will say, the only thing I will say in Toronto's path, the one thing that's been interesting to me with Boston is they have not been able to reach the same level, uh, game in and game out, with the way that how tenacious they play. So, uh, but I still think going home for Game Seven, they win. Allison, who wins tonight? I, 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 I have nothing different to say other than what Tom said. I agree with everything he said. That's disappointing. Well, okay, fine. I picked Toronto just for well, really shits and giggles. Because I want to be different too, but I, I think Boston wins. <laughs> I still remember. Do you remember the great clip? I mean, the great comeback. I think it was 2013 from 4-1. Oh, oh I, I've heard of this. I've heard. I yes. think. I think some people talk about it. The great clip of the Leafs fans oh. in the living room watching it all fall to pieces. And after, I think it was after the 4-4 goal, maybe it was the five, the game winner, the one fan just simply says, how? <laughs> Which is the greatest. And should, should have been its own headline in the Toronto papers the next day. Uh, so mm-hmm. we'll, have, uh, we'll have plenty of stuff for you. We might even get together a uh, podcast uh, in the next couple of days here with someone from the athletic chapter in either Toronto or Boston, depending upon who they play. And we'll try to illuminate that half of this series, just as we did uh, in the first round with Joe Smith from Tampa Bay, which, which uh, y'all seem to like quite a bit. We did as well. Uh, so thanks for listening. Anything else we need to add here? Y'all science. Oh boy. Yes. Uh, we will talk to you in the next couple of days. Thanks for reading. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.